nailed it. <laughs> Multiple times a week, Laura leaves me a message reporting on Molly. They're both parents of four-year-olds at their local Waldorf school. And every day at pickup time, Laura rolls into the parking lot just in time to scoop up her kiddo or sometimes a little late. And every day, Laura sees that Molly is already in the parking lot. And I just know that she's been sitting there for like 15 minutes already. And there's all kinds of data to back this up. Like including that sometimes Laura also arrives early, parks her car, and goes for a walk before the kids come out. And no matter how early she arrives, Molly's already there in her car waiting. And there's also the historic fact that Molly is a very careful planner, a very careful parent, a very careful person, the kind of person, parent, planner, who sends messages to group threads asking if there are going to be any sugar-free options at the party and also regretful texts that they can't come to the party because bedtime is really important to them and they don't want to throw that off. So point is, there's no way Molly's going to risk being late for pickup, but like to an absurd degree as far as Laura is concerned. Sometimes Laura's messages include all the things that she has accomplished in the 15 minutes that she can safely assume that Molly's already been in the parking lot. Thursday of this week, Laura arrives for pickup five minutes early. Why did I do that, she asked me via text. She thought about taking like a five-minute walk because otherwise she said, what a fucking waste, which to be clear, is like partly for comic effect and it also genuinely drives her crazy and we've wondered a little bit about that but mostly I don't care. Like, One, of course, we're close friends so just like lay it on me, the minutia of your daily life and feelings and two, I basically do feel the same way. Like I'm a great audience for this particular gripe. Not about Molly but about those five minutes. Like the difference between 2.40 and 2.45 is huge because one is basically 2.30 and the other one is basically 3.00 and now you know I am late for everything, <laughs> and also why Laura is. But I'm on Laura's side in like every way. Um, so here's why people don't like Leviticus, if I may speak for everyone. It's a dogmatic list of rules from someone else's worldview. Some, some when else's worldview. Even for people who live by Leviticus, like all of the rules in Leviticus, the worldview has changed. The book itself was written about or maybe for a time when the worldview of the people for whom it was written was in the process of changing. Got it? Yes. Whenever it was written, it was written for the time when the people were moving from wandering and wilderness and uncertainty and scarcity or um, actually sufficiency into settling down and building homes and making plans and living into promises for the future and abundance. So that was their plan. For 40 years, they'd been living hand to mouth, collecting divinely provided daily portions of food that, again, were like plenty, but they were portioned out a day at a time. There was no need for and no possibility of storing up anything in advance except for the Sabbath. And anybody who thought to get ahead found that what they had stored up was spoiled. And now they were entering into a time, into a place flowing with milk and honey, no more careful measuring one omer of manna per person per day. No more daily foraging for the basics. Instead, fields and planting and orchards and vineyards and harvests and barns and silos and granaries. No more nomadic life living as strangers wherever they went, but a settled life 
a community with a place and a name where others were going to be the strangers. And the book of Leviticus just tries to answer the question of how the people were going to live now, now that that was all true, after being set in their ways necessarily for so long. So on Thursday, in addition to telling me about um, Pickup and Molly, Laura also sent me a message asking about this sermon and asked, wait, did somebody put you up to this? Because I had just sent her a message from a moment of profound exhaustion, which I, of course, apologize for naming to a single parent. And I told her that I was getting ready to preach about living like the opposite of how both of us live. I was going to preach about not maxing it out. I said, like, there's no benefit and, in fact, a great deal of cost to maxing out every single moment. <laughs> Laura, with genuine concern, shot back, are you telling me you believe in not maxing it out? And this is when she asked, are, or is somebody putting you up to this or what's happening? I need to understand more about not maxing it out, which is true. Because that is not her worldview, and it's not mine. I mean, I have been living for basically my whole life, like maxing it out is the only way to survive. And, and I've known this, like I've, I've known it before now, but I only learned it in December, this past December, Thursday, December 2nd. I was sitting on a stool in my kitchen with a face, my face over a pan of steaming water, and I had a towel over my head, like making a tent for the steam and my face, and I was crying, and my like sick breath was trapped in there with me and I hadn't lost my sense of smell yet. And I didn't know how to tell Vince with whom I was frantically texting to try and get our ducks in a row how bad I felt. It was 10, 10.30 in the morning and I'd gotten a positive result about 12 hours before after like a bad headache and then a sore throat and also leading a three hour storytelling workshop with a sore throat over Zoom. And there was so much to figure out, right? Two church services and finessing the communication about my diagnosis and who else needed to quarantine and who would do what work. And if Vince could still go away for the weekend because he had a vacation planned and I was chugging along, plugging away, trying to just knock out a few more things and my sinuses were pounding. And so I boiled this water and I made this steam tent and I started to cry and I wanted to stop everything immediately. But that is not my worldview. That is not how I live. But at that moment, 10, 10.30 in the morning, Thursday, December 2nd, I was in the process of changing. Under this ratty maroon towel, I realized that the way I have been living my entire life is no longer necessary. And I did tell Vince that, more or less, eventually. And in the meantime, he talked to our friend John, the one who preached Good Fire in this fall, and John said a line that he might have lifted from Leviticus because he said that we were both sinful, sinful for trying to soldier through me being sick. I was sinful for trying to work, and Vince was being sinful for trying to pick up all the work and make it seamless for other people. Why? Why were we doing that? Did I skip the sentence where I said if I hadn't gotten a po positive COVID test, I would have tried to preach? I would have tried to work through it as bad as I felt. Why? And the book of Leviticus doesn't get into all that. It's not a book about like pop psychology. It's a book, as I mentioned, of dogmatic rules. So here's the rule. Hang with me. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field. 
or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Not a farmer? Me either, in spite of all my desire. But let's just say that here we are in the middle of our fields, the middle of our lives, the middle of our circumstances, and by God, I for one am going to wring every drop out of my time, my energy, my life, and I should, because to not max all that out, what a waste. And to that, the book of Leviticus and our friend John both say, that's wrong, that's sinful. The book of Leviticus and our friend John say, stop while you're ahead. Quit, give up right now, and leave it where it lays. Stopping before you're maxed out is what it takes, the book of Leviticus says, to be holy. This is a list of rules about how to be holy, like God is holy, like God who stopped creating after six days, like God who values freedom and rest and doing nothing to remember that you can. Stopping before you're maxed out is not failure. But try telling me that before I got COVID. In the early days of December, I had time to do nothing. And eventually, like, way more nothing than I even needed. And I really learned that the diagnosis, if the diagnosis had been anything short of a global pandemic illness, I would have kept on. I want to say, and I'll probably say again, that I fight the energy of the great resignation, like the give up energy. I think we're all doing something here as Gilead and in our own lives. We're doing stuff that matters. Like the work takes a lot of hands and time and energy, and I get scared when I think about stopping before we're done. But we're also like never done. So when would we ever, how would we ever, why would we stop? Anyway, the rule in Leviticus and the rule in our friend John's mouth is a rule that's not just for us. It's not only or even mostly about self-care, as you heard. It's about care, as Rhiannon actually said this week, on a collective level. Self-care that rises to the level of all of us. Farmers, you should leave some of the richness in the soil. You should leave some of the harvest on the vine. Let the hungry belly up. <laughs> like robber barons, back off the margins, why don't you? Give the workers a living wage. People, don't grind yourselves down into the dust because what will be left, what will be left for those who need it, including you? This Thursday afternoon, March 3rd, it turns out it's pretty much exactly three months after my worldview changed forever. <coughs> I was so exhausted for no reason for no reason that I could figure out at all. I'm a big napper, but this Thursday I had not earned a nap. Like I had barely worked so far, but still I couldn't continue. And plus I had to preach this sermon about not maxing out. So what was I supposed to do? I stopped, I quit, I went to bed and I slept so hard. And I remembered like, oh yeah, I taught a storytelling workshop last weekend, working through my days off. If you don't know, that's one of the ways that Gilead is funded. And I realized, oh right, I'm not inexplicably tired. It's deeply explicable. I maxed out again. And that night at dinner, a friend told me how he'd recently worked through his own weekend because he had helped out a friend with their business, even though he has a full-time job. And I realized I would never say yes to that. I'd never be able to say yes to that. Because 
I am maxed all the way out. And I'm not surprised that I forgot my new world view in three short months. Like, I have lived this way, maxing out, scraping by, wringing all I could out of my time and energy and life for like 40 years. So it's, it's not easy to change. The book of Leviticus was addressed to a newly forming nation, a people who were now going to be able to let go of their old worldview, have to let go of it, if they were going to be holy the way God is holy. Folks who were moving from the margins to the center, but their old worldview, I mean, that was grounded in reality in their experience. It wasn't fake. It wasn't bullshit. But it was time to shake it off. God said so. I found out this week that the book of Leviticus is apparently the book of the Bible that puts the most language directly into God's mouth. And this is what comes out, that a plan for holiness is rooted in the belief that collectively there is enough. I can only assume that Molly will continue to get to pick up early and that Laura and I will continue to make fun of her. Like, what can I say? A few weeks ago, though, Laura had the rare experience of getting to morning drop-off early, or like on time, and she was surprised by all that made possible, all the space that opened up. She got to do other errands and a walk that often gets squeezed out of her day. How Laura ought to live her life is not mine to say, and not just because I know she's planning to listen to this later at some point. Probably both Leviticus and John would feel comfortable weighing in. They're both kind of dogmatic, but lovely. What I do think is true is that the worldview that any of us currently lives by is not the only one, and it is not necessarily the best one for us or anybody else. But to wring ourselves out and leave nothing at the edges but chaff and holes and exhaustion and weeping alone, that's a fucking lot. And with that, I am uh, done with this sermon, or not quite, but I am stopping.